welcome back to Big Boss Mayor with Brandy Von Holten. Today, I am interviewing Maria Juarez Bird. Okay, so I knew Maria a long time ago when she was in high school. She is 26 now. Okay, but whenever I knew her, she and I were actually on a competitive martial arts team and traveled traveled all over with um, her brother was also on the fight team. And uh, we both trained with a lady named Terry Gotro out of Blue Springs. And Terry um, won a bronze medal in the 1992 Olympics. And then her husband, Oren, he, um, whenever he was competing, they didn't have the Olympics in that sport yet. And he actually went to a world championship. And several years in a row, he uh, won first place or gold in several different weight divisions. So whenever I met Maria was after I had moved to the great state of Missouri from Arkansas. Okay, so Maria, what are a few things that you remember about being on that fight team the most? I love the leadership on the team. I think that it was just a positive atmosphere. I never it didn't bother me to work hard. I always looked forward and I felt more like emotionally energized after practice than I did. I also did competitive swimming. Um, so I just felt good about myself and the work that I was doing in Taekwondo. I loved it. And I love the team. Everyone had, even though it was an individual sport, you knew that you had support, you know? Yep. Maria has seen, um, has seen me fight before. There's not, <laughs> so we laugh now, but I think her father was actually recording uh, one time in Kansas. I think it was a Emporia or Eudora. I already know what fight you're talking about. Oh, yeah. 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 I, uh, <laughs> I knocked this lady's front two teeth out, and then her father in the stands is yelling, I got it on video. <laughs> and then on the video, he, this this lady that I uh, knocked her front two teeth out, I didn't hit her in the nose. She just had a crooked nose. Well, her fa- your father yeah. says, uh, I think she broke her nose. It's crooked. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, not the girl. nose. It was just the teeth. It was just it her was front. It was a nice kick, though. <laughs> so, anyways, and then, man, Maria, what weight division? You, I think you were on the youth division. You were in the on the youth team when I was on the adult team. What... Um, do you remember what age or what weight bracket you fought in? Uh, so I know I started off when I was 14 at 125, um, but I was usually middle, sometimes heavy, depending on how big the tournament was. Okay. And if anybody was ever wondering, I was always in heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> I matured to heavy. Okay. You, you matured to heavy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Maria, um, she is no longer... In high school. I mean, she's 26 now, and now she is actually in, what What program are you in right now? I am in, at Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine, so I'm studying to be a veterinarian. Okay, and you have, what, one more year? A couple more months. I should graduate in May. Okay, should graduate. Okay, yeah, May of 2021. Correct. I was thinking, oh, next May, but... Hope not. Yeah, that would be... I forget that the year turns... In uh, in January, <laughs> I'm um, you know I don't know when you're listening to this. I don't know what year it's in, but um, whenever you finally get to find Big Boss Mayor with Brandy Von Holten. But right now we're recording, and it is the dreaded 2020. 
the year that will not end, it seems like. It makes no sense. <laughs> no, it's awful. Okay, so the reason that I chose Maria is because <clears throat> Maria has always been someone that, I mean, she has always had great grades, but it wasn't because school came easy to her. Okay, she is a workhorse. She's just like myself. Everybody thinks, oh, Brandy's so smart. And I'm like, it took me five and a half years to get that first four-year degree. Okay, it's supposed to be called a four-year degree. And I'm like, it's called a five and a half-year degree. Okay, so Maria, whenever you graduated high school in 2013, um, and you graduated with above a 4.0, and then you, it took you three years to get a bachelor's in animal science Mm -hmm. okay so tell us um what what was your experience at MU for that took you three years to get a four-year degree you see you made it go faster and I took a lot longer so we equal out Uh, you know (laughs) (laughs) well and I mean you'll find out I added the year later but um no I was really fortunate to go to a high school that offered um AP classes and fortunate to be naive enough to not understand what those meant. So I took all of the AP classes because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I ended up getting like 46 credit hours worth of college credit, which meant nothing to me at the time. Um, I didn't understand how credit hours worked. And then I got to college and they told me that I could graduate in two years if I wanted to. Um, And at first I thought that was going to what I was going to do because I didn't really like high school. Um, but then I loved my undergraduate program. I loved the professors at the university of Missouri. The animal science program was so much fun. I think our first day we were out like vaccinating chickens. It was awesome. I mean, it was, it was hands-on. It was great. The it's a, there's a lot of kids that come from farming communities and they just got great personalities. So it was a ton of fun and I decided to stay a little bit longer. Okay. All right. So everything's looking good. And then you end up getting into the uh, MU pre-vet program. No, you end up getting into their veterinarian program. Yeah. So the MU pre-vet scholars program was something that I had heard about in high school. I always knew that I wanted to go to vet school since I was like five years old. And Mizzou has this like pre-acceptance program for students who do well in high school and get a nice ACT score. So I was sitting in a position coming out of high school to have a seat in Mizzou's veterinary class. And I jumped through the hoops throughout my undergraduate career to have a seat once it finally came time to apply. So I knew when I was sending in my veterinary school application that I had a spot at Mizzou. And I decided because I had heard about Cornell and I liked one of the students who had gone there and she seemed to have a good experience. Um, I thought it was worth a shot because I felt safe at Mizzou. And okay. So let's pause for a second. So you were pretty much guaranteed a spot in the um, veterinarian program at MU. Mm -hmm. So then this kind of freed you up to be like, Hey, I'm going to apply for this other college. Now then for y'all that don't know, including myself, because I had to ask a while ago, okay? But Cornell is in New York, Mm -hmm. okay? So hear the name. What is the name of that town? Ithaca. Ithaca, okay. I want to name an animal, Ithaca. I mean, like, (laughs) so, 
I, when she said it at first, I was like, I've heard that before, you know, and I think I've heard it in like a literacy class or something, like some kind of, um, what do you, maybe with the Odyssey or something? Yeah, I think it was where, I, and I don't actually know this that well, but I think it's, um, oh, what was it, Odysseus, like his homeland or something that he was trying to travel back to. So it was okay. supposed to be inspirational. All right, so Ithaca, New York is where now, where Cornell's at. And so you um, decided to apply. Did you get in? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, so she yeah. got in. Now here's, um, have you ever lived anywhere else besides Missouri? Nope. Nope. And then you were, what did your family think about, oh, our daughter's going to go to New York? Uh, so initially I thought that I might apply to the University of Pretoria in South Africa just because they have a really cool program there. So I think my mom was actually really excited that I picked New York because it wasn't an ocean away. Um, but that's still far. I mean, I came back every weekend in college to hang out with my family. So Wait, not when you're in New York, when you're in NU. Yeah. yeah, so I'm sorry, college and then veterinary school. So when I say college, I mean Mizzou. But um, but yeah, when I was at Mizzou, I came back every single weekend. So New York was a big change. Okay. All right. So let's talk about that first year. First year, Little Miss Missouri went to <laughs> New York. Okay, so how did that first year in college or in uh, veterinarian school go? Oh, it did not meet my expectations. Um, I went in with high hopes, and I failed my very first class. Okay, failed hard. Like I actually got an F. It's on a official transcript. Oh, okay. So you got an F, and uh, so you end up um, failing a lot of classes that semester you so it's it? a our our very first class is like a combination of anatomy and histology and a whole bunch of other things it's a 12 credit hour course um and for so for um, comparison in most undergraduate courses you can do a full semester at 12 credit hours um so that's like the 13 weeks or whatever we were doing 12 credit hours in about i think it's like eight to nine weeks so I had that course. It was the only course that we were taking at the time because it's really intense, and I failed it. So um, I had to wait a year to try it again. Okay. So in that year off, okay, uh, in that year off, you end up uh, working for a large animal vet in yeah. Kansas. Okay. So who was this large animal vet, and what all did you get to do? Dr. Jeff Thompson, and he was great. I had actually worked a bit with him um, throughout my undergraduate career, so... We were working cattle and horses and a lot of your, like, you know, like your vaccinations, um, like reproduction checks, things like that. Uh, calves, we worked with calves. That was the best, like any, like any of the dystocias. So with complicated pregnancies where you actually go in and you pull the calf out and like help resuscitate it and everything. So we had several of those. And then um, they also have a small animal component to their veterinary hospital. So there were some dogs and cats that we were working with. Okay. So whenever you had um, failed out of Cornell, then you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to go work for this large animal vet. Is that because you needed to get more experience and you wanted to like try it again to get back into Cornell? So I knew that I had one more opportunity. They would give me at least one other chance to take the course. And the way that the program is set up is called problem-based learning. So instead of saying it's uh, an anatomy course, instead of saying, okay, this is the bone in the leg of the cow, here are all the muscles and how they're attached, 
they say, a cow comes in with a broken leg. How do you fix it? And you and a group of five other students um, with a, like a faculty mentor are supposed to figure out on your own what you need to know in order to fix the leg from an anatomy context or, or knowledge base. So you go out and you learn what the name of the bone is, and then you go learn like the muscles, and then what try to incorporate that in the problem that you were presented from the faculty. And in learning about how to treat that cow, you're supposed to learn the anatomy of the leg. And so we did that with like the major species um, and then all throughout the body. So head, neck, heart, GI system, things like that. Okay, so uh, that seems like that is really put into you being the driver of that. I could, you know, a lot of people are not set up for that, especially people that are uh, new going into college or new going into a program. They don't know how deep they really need to learn what they're doing. You know, it's a lot of people think that whenever you go to college, this professor gives you your information, Mm -hmm. you memorize it, you take a test. But it's not like that at all. This right here seems like, Dora the Explorer. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it, yeah. Let's explore what I need to learn, and then I'm going to learn it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it is helpful. I remember a lot of the, like, we had a cat with, like, um, a polyp in its ear that you go in and you, like, take out, right? Which is a real thing that happens in cats, and I've had real patients that have this problem. And so I remember learning about that through this problem-based learning style. It's so, whereas in other, you know, memorization kind of based courses and stuff like that, I... I don't retain that information. So retention-wise, problem-based learning is really helpful. But trying to learn it, like going into a problem that you don't have a lot of context for, it's really complicated, especially if you don't have a clinical background already because all of our problems or all of our cases came from real-life clinical experiences, real problems, like real patients who had been hit by cars, you know, like or real patients that had cancer and everything. And so... Um, it's just very difficult to learn without any sort of background in that, which I didn't have a lot of before going to vet school. Okay. So I bet, um, tell me the veterinarian's name again in Kansas. Dr. Jeff Thompson. Jeff Thompson. Yeah. She always smiles when she's, whenever she says his name. So I take it that you had like a wonderful experience working for oh, him. Oh man, he was, I, so my very first day working with Dr. Thompson um, they had just gotten a new digital x-ray machine and I'd walked in and I was like, hi, I'm the student who's supposed to shadow you today. And he was like, great. Can you hold this dog? Well, like we snapped this <laughs> x-ray. He is so hands-on. He, and he loves teaching. He took the time. Like I didn't come from a farm background. Um, he just gave me the time that I needed to learn. And he, I just felt like he went in as much depth as I needed and was able to take in. And he was, I mean, when I failed, cause I had known him beforehand, um, we were sitting alone in the truck and he's like, Hey, so what happened? And I was like, you know, I just don't think I adapted fast enough. And he was like, you know what, don't worry about it. Like every veterinarian has struggled in one course or another. And he was the first person who made me feel like I could still be a veterinarian after failing because I didn't know anybody else who had gotten to that level and failed. I, I honestly wondered whether or not my career was over at that point and whether or not I should continue. And he really gave me a love for the medicine that I had lost in my first semester at school. Okay. Okay, so <clears throat> let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. Okay, so 
Maria. Maria's mother is, uh, I don't know how other than white. I don't know. She what. won't be insulted by you calling her white. Yeah, she's white. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh, she yeah. And then her father, Mr. John. John Juarez, he is a Mexican, right? He's from Mexico. Yeah, his, his family is from Mexico. So both of my grandparents were born in Mexico, and my dad was born in the United States. Okay, so you have had, I know in the veterinarian program, you had had statements said to you, or maybe not just in a veterinarian program, probably not just there, probably throughout some college stuff that says, lucky for you, you're, you're Mexican, right? Uh, so that like you got into a spot. Yeah, so there's this idea in college and applying to graduate school programs that minority students have spots saved for them. And so in my, I man, I busted my butt to be competitive in college. I, I knew that it would be hard to get in. And when it came time to apply, there were, I think, five or six people at my undergraduate institution. We had gone through like the same couple years of undergrad beforehand we were on all the same classes and they said wow it must feel so nice to be you know Mexican because you know that that's going to help you getting in and I was like what <laughs> like I work so it's just so dismissive yeah. you know and uh, man, you know it they sucked oh yeah so I know that makes you feel like maybe you didn't earn your spot whenever you earned your spot but then you had like this self-doubt that there's something like I, somebody's going around being like oh is she Mexican let's give her that spot into the it school it felt like someone cheated for me you know like you go you run this marathon and then people are like oh maybe she can't make it we'll just push her over the finish line it's like dude I like I ran the previous 25 miles like I right. It, man, I can't, I can't put a word on that. Cause I literally, I wanted to be a vet since I was five years old. It is the only goal that I have been working towards. And I was so excited and I knew that it would be competitive. I knew that it would be hard and to get to what felt like the finish line and have people say, Oh, like, thank God people are helping you along. was kind of like, what the heck, man? Like, like nobody helped you along. Like, you know, and <sighs> Where they probably got that from was it was probably just said to them, like, oh, they need so many minorities, and they need so many females, and they need so many, you know, yeah. whatever and, there is. And it took me, I mean, it took me a long time to come to terms with that, but people who say that just don't understand how admissions work. Yeah. So. Because your daddy's parents being from Mexico had nothing to do with your GPA and with your drive to get into school and for somebody to um, take away that hard work and put it towards your you know your heritage mm, it just seems like a cop-out on their part for covering up their shortcomings just in case they don't get into it it feels like well you know they they couldn't let me in there because I'm white you know, well, they had to save my that. spot for the for the Mexican girl that can kick your butt, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. They clearly didn't know I was a black belt when they said that. Um, it's well, okay. and they didn't even mean anything by it. I'm sure they didn't. I don't you know. know. Everyone who said that was actually a, a good friend. I have a lot of respect yeah. for them. Many of them got into that school. Like, they're going to go on and do great things. They right. are good people, and they did not mean it in a mean way. Well, and I just kind of feel like... They um, they think that you're not as smart as them because maybe you got accepted because of your heritage. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they needed to, you know, it really helped you out being Mexican to be able to get into that program. So, I don't know, maybe maybe they don't know, you know, it might be like subconscious, or maybe not, who knows, I don't know, it just seems like an odd statement, but then I would, that, if somebody told me like, oh, Brandy, the only reason you got in was because of your, I don't even know what my background is. <laughs> your blonde hair. Ger- German-Scottish background, yeah. okay, I get, well, Von Holten, everybody thinks that I'm German. Yeah. My husband is actually 100% German. Oh. I know, he is 100, well, yeah, but you would not know by that R that he puts in Warscht. Yeah. Okay, you would not, and uh, yeah. he's like the worst German ever. He doesn't like dark beer, and he doesn't like sauerkraut. <laughs> like, he's like. We won't hold it against oh, him. Oh, yeah, I know, but, um. <clears throat> that would make me have self-doubt if somebody was like, oh, you're so lucky that you got in for something that had nothing to do with academics. Like, it would make me have, like, it would make me doubt myself. Well, and, you know, I think there's a couple things going on there. One is, what about me makes them think that I'm not qualified enough to do this right. on my own, right? Like, um, because I had done a lot in my undergraduate career, at that point, I was pretty involved. I was a leader in several clubs. I had won an international award. And many of those students knew that. And I was like, well, how can you know all of that about me and be in class with me and still think that I'm not, like, there's something about me that I'm clearly missing um, because I just, I thought that it was a possibility. And then also from, like, the institution's perspective is, like, what do I mean to you if that's something you're taking into consideration. Um, am I going to meet your expectations? Like, do you expect less of me? Like on these things that I really can't control there, you know, there are some inherent aspects of my nature and I didn't ask for them. Like I'm proud of them and I, I appreciate, you know, (laughs) those aspects of my heritage, but it wasn't anything I was putting on like a, you know, application. Like, you know, it's not part of my CV. Right. Like I don't like list it next to like my publications or anything. (laughs) You know, like, okay. All right. Uh, so, um, you actually went to some counseling over this. Yeah. So I, I'm really lucky because my older sister is a marriage and family therapist. And frankly, if she wasn't in the field, um, I wouldn't, I didn't take mental health seriously before she got into it. And I was having horrible test anxiety. Like I would study, I literally, I got to school at 7am. I would study through all of my meals, like I would read and eat at the same time, stayed at school until 10 p.m. and then went home. And that was every day, like Monday through Sunday. And then I would get to a test and say, I like this voice in my head, like, I know nothing. Like I've been lazy. I didn't study at all. And it was like, I didn't understand any of the words that were on the piece of paper in front of me. And so I was talking to my older sister about it. And she's like, you know what? Sounds like it might be anxiety. Like, why don't you go see a counselor? And I did in it. Okay. So I tracked my grades. I like since high school, I've tracked my grades. I saw a 20% difference in the grades that I was getting a 20% improvement between before going to counseling and after going to counseling. It was insane. I didn't change the amount of hours I was studying. I didn't, I just took care of my mental health and I helped somebody. My, my view of reality was warped and I needed someone to help me see what was really going on and help me realize that I actually earned my spot and I deserve to be there and you don't walk into Cornell on accident. And so 
Yeah, no, it was huge. I mean, huge, so, measurable and difference. People don't even realize, like, these small statements that they, because, you know, they, they love you because they got to be around. I mean, as soon as you're around Maria, you're going to be like, I love Maria. But, you know, here they were, and they were just like, oh, my gosh, man, count yourself so lucky. I'm so, you know, and then you're over here like, it planted this seed for self-doubt. Like, do I actually deserve to be here? Do I actually earn my spot here? And, like, to the point of so much doubt that it formed anxiety that you had to go to a counselor, and then after you, you know, had help with that anxiety, you were able to see this huge increase in your grades. Oh, yeah. Which, man, 20%, 20% is huge. I mean, like, I want to make 20% more money. I want to <laughs> lose 20% of my weight. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the difference between failing and actually sitting at a very nice competitive spot GPA-wise at, at the school that I was going to. Um, it was, it made all the difference in the world. Okay. So, you know, people and little things that they have, uh, little statements that people say, okay? Um, Man, I know, uh, okay, something that's been said to me before, like whenever I get all dressed up and I feel pretty, people are like, you look good for a big girl. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to punch you in the throat. You know, what do you mean for a big girl? I look good for any girl, you know, or... Mm -hmm. um, just those little, they don't even mean them as a stab. They don't oh, yeah. even mean it as anything. It's the underlying assumption there, right? Yep. Like, you know, the assumption that you didn't try hard enough or the assumption that, like, you're always going to be ugly. Like, like you've reached whatever threshold you have for yourself, right? Or, you know, the assumption that someone's always going to give you a hand up, right? It's not, your hard work only gets you so far and you rely on other people to push you you know the next step and so um yeah no it sucks people's assumptions okay so von holton ranch okay so it always cracks me up i'm over here laughing i'm like come on brandy get get back up here but uh i've had people say to me before well if david built everything then what do you do i Okay, they said, I'm so they haven't met you yeah they don't well they don't know what we do for the ranch yeah or they'll say well, um, okay, so y'all, you know, most of your people come here on the weekends. Well, where do y'all work during the week? And we're like, we work here nonstop. Like, yeah. they didn't even understand. Like, uh, two years ago, we actually tracked how many days we took off. We took off 13 days two years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the Amish, everybody knows how hard the Amish work, but they mm-hmm. take off a day per week. So that's 52 days off, and I'm like, we're working harder than the Amish. <laughs> like, we got to stop that. And uh, I don't know, people always assume things, and mm-hmm. it's never that way. So <clears throat> the fact that you um, failed, and then, you know, your first semester at the veterinarian school in Cornell, well, I hope everybody knows that I failed all sorts of stuff. <laughs> like, it took me five and a half years to get my four-year degree, the first one. And, uh, man... That right there made me doubt myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am dumb. I am mm-hmm. so dumb. And I'm like, I, I failed so many classes, had to retake them. And then my second college degree, I graduated with a, a better GPA, but I still had, I mean, I still had some C's and stuff on there. I mean, mm-hmm. I graduated like a 3.4, my second college degree. The first one didn't even make it to a 3.0 GPA, okay? It wasn't, it didn't. 
Um, I was also started college at 17. Probably needed a a year to grow up or something. (laughs) Um, And I did well in high school. But high school, we I only graduated with like 60 some odd people, and I graduated in the top 10. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought I was smart. Oh no, oh no, I I didn't know how to study. Um, You know, now I write books for children and stuff. And whenever I was um, younger. I remember being in elementary, they had you take like a, a reading assessment to see where you were, um, and it was had, it was based out of like 400 points, and this was when I was in Texas, and if you didn't score at least a 200, you were considered um, remedial, mm-hmm. and I scored like a 204 on it, so they I was almost put into like um, the special education reading classes and my parents I got in so much trouble oh I got in so much trouble for scoring bad on that test and um that it turns out I could read each word perfectly and so but then I could not put the words together to have reading comprehension of that sentence so I would read, and so then my parents thought I was jacking around, and so did my uh, teachers, because I could read out loud, and I could say the words, but then I just couldn't put them together. So, like, people assuming things. Well, I think in generous, we just, or in, in general, we need to be more generous in our assumptions, right? Yes. Like, assume that kids are smarter than what the score says, because sometimes we're just not great at measuring things. You know, and also like, and I, so I am part of a letters to young scientists, which is where we pair STEM mentors with, um, students across the United States. STEM. What is STEM? Uh, STEM is, I only know. Science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah. Okay. So that's STEM. STEM is, uh, an an association or a, a project or a group or something. And they like connect um, students with mentors or teachers or what is STEM? So let, letters to STEM is like an idea that refers to those specific programs. LPS or letters to a young scientist is this program with the goal of connecting kids from underprivileged communities with scientists to help those kids identify with science and increase the chances of those kids choosing a STEM career. Um, because STEM careers can be life-changing, you know, like economically, like the idea that you can go out in the world and study whatever you want, whether it's a dust particle in physics or whales or dogs, like that exists and a lot of people don't know it. And so STEM is just really exciting and it offers a lot of opportunity for people. So in this program, I'm matched with, um, I think she's in seventh grade, um, I matched with a student in South Carolina, and so we're pen pals, and we'll be writing to each other throughout the year about about STEM. So that's great. That's okay. So I teach. I have these um, kids camps at the ranch, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a creek called Lake Creek. It's like the <laughs> most. It's the most basic name ever. Okay, I guess. But um, we had people, um, scientists from the college that they were going through and surveying what animals that they seen there and what, you know, plant and everything that they could find there. Well, these people did not look like if somebody was like, let me draw what a scientist looked like. Oh, it did not, you know, nobody fit into like, everybody's going to draw Albert Einstein. Yeah. Okay, that's with a white jacket in a lab. 
but it's not like that at all. Well, and the thing is, kids will start self-selecting out of science because they can't identify with Albert Einstein, right? They're like, well, I'm not like, I don't look like that. I can't imagine that I would be comfortable standing in a lab all day. And there's this whole world of scientists, people who like, you know, swim to the bottom of the oceans and like dress in boots and like climb mountains and like they look crazy. One of my favorites, she literally, she was wearing like, you know, like bright purple glasses and a leopard mask and this like long leopard dress with lace up boots. And she's in charge of a research like program at Cornell. Like she's got a very nice job. She's a big wig scientist and she looks like she walked out of a comic book. I mean, I... Like a cool comet book. Oh, man. She's awesome. She's really cool. She's got amazing eyeshadow. Like, I mean, I've seen scientists with, like, shorts, purple, spiky hair, and they study stars. And, like, and so just trying to give kids this idea that you don't have to be Albert Einstein to be a scientist, right? There are lots of different ways to do science, and some of them are, like, boring to me, and some of them are super exciting, right? Well, I think this is, you know, like people's assumptions and that I think this is part of the reason why I've, I've done well in (laughs) like my equine career now, you know, I've had, I've had different careers. I've had a a banking career, a teaching career. I was really good at sales. (laughs) I I loved banking because it all, you could always make everything match up and Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a set a goal and try to reach it in sales and stuff. But I did really good in banking I was a martial arts instructor. I was in education for a while, and now I'm in the equine industry. And uh, I think that's why I've done well in this is because I don't fit the norm. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if you're like, hey, I'm going to be a cowgirl like or a cowboy, they'd expect me to look like John Wayne. Well, yeah. first of all, they'd expect me to be a guy, yeah. <laughs> and then they'd expect me to be at least 100 pounds smaller and about four to five inches taller. And... Uh, and that's just not it, you know, like the fact that I do mounted archery off of a mule, mm-hmm. you know, and people are like, what? Like, it's mind blowing to them because I don't look like the norm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're touching on like diversity, right? It's this idea that somebody with a different background and different experience is bringing something different to the table than the people that are already there, Right. you know, and I mean, I think that sometimes we have this like two dimensional view of what diversity is supposed to be, but really like having a different experience and like using that to make the world a better place is what makes different industries better. So you being a female, like you being like a different size, you having a banking background, like all of those influence the things that you bring to the equine world and those make it better. Yeah. You know, cause there's not, there's a, okay. I am the target market for most things that are being sold. I am a 40 year old female. Okay. Do you know, like we're the ones that, um, spend money. So we're the target. I'm, I'm well, now lucky you. Oh, I'm not lucky. I think, <laughs> I'm trying to get people to buy things. I'm trying not to spend it as much. I'm yeah. trying to get some stuff paid off. So in this interview, Okay, some things, why I wanted y'all to hear from Maria, okay? Because Maria is going to be Dr. Juarez Bird, okay? She's going to be, and here she is. She is. She has failed, and like like a 10-point swan dive fail. Like, it was a oh, hard it fail. It was bad. And like, I still cringe when I think about it. Like, I, I think I've gotten better at talking about it, but, man, I just, like, feel my heart rip a little bit when oh. I think about the ways all my hopes and dreams, like went downhill so fast 
Oh. Yeah, no, it's Maria, sucked. I will tell you the the hardest fail I've ever had in my life in, in college, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I mean, but that was, it's just paper fail. It's not like living in a car fail, okay? Uh-huh. Like, I've, yeah, and, and I've, I've done that before too, yeah. okay? But one time I got a test score back, it was an... Nine percent. I went to the professor and I'm like, "You forgot the other number." Like, and I uh-huh. thought that, and I really studied for that test, but it was like organic chemistry, oh, and it was so my first good. like go at it. And here mm-hmm. I am, like, "Yeah, I rewrote my notes." And I was like, "Hey, you forgot? Did, did I make a ninety or ninety one?" And he's like, "No." You made a nine percent. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" Like I made a single digit, you know, percentage on a test, and I that class I had to retake that. Okay, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I had to retake that class twice. I failed organic chemistry not once but twice, and I still hate it. I have nightmares. If you ever want to like scare me, you need to make the word <laughs> like you have to take organic chemistry. No. Oh man, I still look at that orgo book and cringe. It's that is a beast of its own making. I that one's rough. Well, but you know, I think what made the first veterinary school class hurt so much was. I have always wanted to be a veterinarian. Literally, Brandy, we're talking about a 20-year dream with one goal in mind. Like, one thing that I've been working to, like, literally since kindergarten, and I get in and I fail. Yeah. Like, I, and I didn't know if it was reasonable to try again, if I was fooling myself, like, maybe people were right and I didn't really earn it, and so I wasn't supposed to be there. Like, oh, man, that, like... You had to, you had to like, that, refine my whole, yourself. My whole identity was wrapped in being, becoming a veterinarian. I didn't have, literally, everything that I had done up to that point was about getting into veterinary school. And I got there, like, and I'm not talking, like, a long-term thing. Like, my entire life was leading up to this moment, and I just failed colossally. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, I just, like, F. Like, I didn't know the material to the level that I should have. And that was hard because I didn't know who I was supposed to be outside of veterinary medicine. And I didn't know if I still belonged to the veterinary field. Man, with those words of you saying that, of people that find their identity and when that identity changes, they don't, you don't know how to exist. I, I was always a fighter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been 2013 since I fought and I'm all like, ah. That's a, I still think of you as a fighter. Like, yeah. when I think of you, I'm like, oh, yeah, the black belt and horse yeah. ranch. Yeah. Well, that it's just, re- I mean, like, it's part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, like, I miss it, and I teach some kickboxing classes and stuff. But do you know how many women, um, after they have kids, and then those kids are grown, and then they're like, what now? Yeah. Like, I get a lot of mounted archers mm-hmm. um, because most of, I didn't ever have children, but most people my age, their kids are now getting out of high school. Mm-hmm. And they're like, <clears throat> what a, they don't even know how to be themselves. They don't even know who they are. I, I was very fortunate because my husband has his priorities in order. And so when I was stressing out about school, he would always ask me, like, were you a good person today? Like, it all comes back to you, like, okay, but we're, like, on your baseline, like, regardless of what your scores were, like, were you a good person? And that's been really good because it's helped me reframe my identity and how I think about myself and what things 
I bring to the table, right? It's not just about the knowledge of the dog's cancer or whatnot, right? It's, are you empathetic? Like, are you listening to people? Are you compassionate? Like, did you try your best today? You know, and it doesn't mean that you got an A when you tried your best. It was like, whatever you had to offer to put on the table, did you do that? If yes, then walk away. Like, that's the best you could have done. Right. I know I had a, a horse named Chalkboard that now she lives like a few miles down the road. Um, and I had a, she, I thought it was her shoulder was wrong mm. and the vet. I mean, he spent two hours with me because um, we, and it turned out it was like, I thought it was right shoulder. And then we couldn't figure out if it was like in the knee. But it turned, is tough. Oh, it turned out to be the left foot. Mm. And then she just needed um, like a shoe to be yeah. put on at an angle. And then after she got more muscled up, after me being able to ride her with that shoe, then the lameness went away. But the fact that that man, even though he got it wrong, wrong, wrong. But he spent two hours and was compassionate with me and then helped me figure that out. I send everyone to him. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and I don't care if he failed his first year in college. I'm never mm-hmm. going to ask that because that man took the time that I needed and that that horse needed. Um, you know, so nobody's going to care that you failed or something like that you know that's the dream yeah nobody (laughs) nobody's nobody cares about any of that until after you get the piece of paper so like but it's going to make you a better person because now you know before if you would have gotten a and a and a and a and just moved on up and graduated but but now you know even if things aren't as perfect as they should be that you really want this and you're willing to step back regroup get your head right Mm -hmm. and move on so like you are meant to be a vet well and I've, I've learned a lot of things from failure I think one of them I had this idea after college and high school that like oh I've already done the biggest failures in my life like so long as I'm smart and like I plan things I won't fail as hard as I failed before and that's not true and it's not sometimes it's not a matter of trying sometimes life just throws curveballs that you don't adjust to And so I've become more compassionate because I failed. And I think the other thing that I learned is that I don't want to try and avoid failure because that's not possible. I want to get better at growing from failure and accepting that. Like one of the things that I say like on all my course evaluations is whether or not I feel comfortable failing in front of the professor. So that means they ask me a question. I got it wrong. I'm comfortable asking something that I should probably know. Like, um, there's some like basic like like I'm gonna just give an example like oh like what's the scientific name of the ear like something that we should know at this point you know four years into our veterinary career and for some reason I'm mind blanking on it like if I can ask somebody a basic like stupid question like that and they can give me feedback and help me grow from it like I think that's a good person so I want to be somebody that other people feel comfortable failing in front of And I want to do a better job in the future of growing from my failures. I think I did a decent job my first year, but there's definitely things where like I judge myself really harshly on it. And so I can get better. Okay, man. Okay. So let's talk about, so what are you wanting to do? What is the end goal of all of this education? Okay. So what, what are you wanting to do? So I would like to make, a positive impact on the world. That's like the big thing. 
I would like to work within the One Health community. So One Health is this idea that the environment and animals and humans, the health of all three of those things are intricately related. And so by improving one, you improve the other ones. And so one of the things that I'm interested in is doing research and improving animal medicine. And while doing so, hopefully improving the health of humans around those animals and the health of the environment. So a good example of that is antibiotics in large animals. So if you think about giving a cow antibiotics, if you give the wrong antibiotics or you give the antibiotics at an inappropriate frequency or dose, then you increase the risk of bad bacteria growing. Those bacteria can cause problems for the cattle. They can also cause problems for the people living around the cattle or any of the organisms and animals living on or near the land, right? So like, okay, so this cow that's got some too much of an antibiotic poops mm-hmm. and then it gets into the soil messes up the worms the worms are eat ate by the bird yeah and then the birds ate by my cat and then boom my cat is got glaucoma glaucoma <laughs> okay so then we're like what the, happened yeah the idea this? the idea that all of those things are interconnected with each other right that we that by treating the cow better not only are you improving the treatment of the cow like Um, solving the problem sooner maybe the cow is under less distress like throughout the treatment process because you pick a correct antibiotic or you do the antibiotic at a more appropriate frequency you now decrease the risk not only to the person working with the cow but also all the other animals living around that right and like our gut microbiota like the bacteria that live in our gut like they influence our ecosystems and everything and so my idea is, well, the idea, this was not my idea. I didn't come up with it. But the idea is that when we take these steps to improve the health of one, we're actually helping everybody involved. And so trying to be intentional with what problems I'm choosing in the animal human world or like the large animal conservation world, like picking a problem and trying to find common ground where we can make improvements in both of those areas is really something that I'm passionate about and especially trying to do it in an ethical way and ideally in a way that's going to economically, emotionally, you know, make the lives of the people in those communities better. Okay. Well, I know like, I know everything is connected. So like we have um, our soil for our pastures. Mm -hmm. We go and take samples, mix that up, and then we have it analyzed and then that dictates um, how we fertilize and stuff. Well, um, I have two animals right now. I have a horse named Glamour, and I have a mule named Coco. Well, they, they're they not related at all, okay? Yeah. Like, they're from different states, all this stuff, right? Yeah. But they have um, one of the layers of their hoof is showing the same problem. Oh. Okay, so I'm over here like, what is this? And my farrier's like, I've seen this before, and the person gave them a supplement with high amounts of copper in it. And I was like, "Are my is my land low in copper? You know, and then I'm like, okay. Well, so now they've got a fancy supplement. You know, it's like $75 a month. <laughs> I'm like, y'all better eat all the copper out of this. Okay, so... Man, I can, but then what is that going to do right there? So now I've got two animals, you know, and then they're going to use the bathroom everywhere. But then, I don't know, like, I can see how things could be connected because, like, 
the birds are going to eat that. And like, is there anything else that's low in copper around here? Yeah. Or we see that in like rodenticides as well, right? People decide to lay a poison out for a mouse and then the mouse eats it and the mouse dies. And then a hawk eats the mouse and then the hawk dies because it ate the rodenticide that was inside the mouse. And the then a dog. Rodenticide. <laughs> and then. The, okay. Something and to then kill a, dog a rodent. finds yeah. the hawk and the dog eats the hawk. And then your, right. ho- your dog comes into the hospital because they're sick, right? Like, so. These you thought that you were just getting rid of this mouse, but really we have these these webs of connection between the environment and animals and people that are so all. So it sounds like big old food web, like an ecology food yeah. web. But you're wanting to like actually get up in that food web and like just waller around in it and be yeah. like, okay, now let's actually look at this food web on like a nutritional. Uh, level and on a economic level you're wanting to like take the ecology and put it into action and you're wanting to look at the health of like people and the animals yeah so with my veterinary background we we think specifically about the physiology and the problems within like various animal animal bodies or whatnot because you can imagine with all this that there are lots of potential specialties within one health right there's a lot of things that we're talking about because it's literally the globe So from veterinary, I'm really interested in taking animal problems and seeing in our approach to solving this animal's problem, for example, like decreasing infertility in cattle or decreasing infertility in horses, can we take that science that we're learning about the cows and the horses and then apply that to fish and apply it to people? And, you know, where, how can we pick scientific problems that affect multiple lines within this food web you know or or this ecologic system and improve multiple places at once because they all have this shared common you know this shared problem okay all right so i can tell you that after our interview um i think people will think second you know a second time before they say something that with like an assumption to it (laughs) you know you can see how freaking smart she is and it's not she didn't get into anything because of her grandparents heritage and uh maybe think twice before we say something like just we need to think twice before we say things because sometimes they plant seeds you know people are planting seeds everywhere and then here's this young lady who is uh rocking and rolling and uh, in life but then she's had some ups and downs. And, you know, before we started, I like to talk to, I like to, talk to the people that I'm going to interview. And, uh, you know, I told her, I was like, you know, I always kind of viewed you as someone that really had to work for their grades. But a lot of people will see uh, Maria and they'll see that she's got great grades. And they're just like, oh, you know, like they, her successes and her awards, they're like, oh, well, that's because she's smart. And I'm all like, ah, I always viewed you as somebody that, double timed it and had to you were like a workhorse because I didn't think it came to you easy you were the first like (laughs) seriously you were the first person who's ever said that and it's so validating because so I can't tell you the number of people who like you know they hear about like what school I go to or whatnot and they're like oh you're smart but they say it almost dismissively like oh of course you would do that because you're smart and I'm like Dude, I pulled an all-nighter every single Monday my senior year of college to keep up with the work. Yeah. It was, and I would not recommend it. It was a lot. Yeah. So here here people, they like assume, oh, she must just get it. And you're over here like, 
I need to go to sleep. <laughs> I have, yes. I have given up. Well, you know, that's because things never come to us easy. We've had people that they see Von Holten Ranch, and they're just like, oh, it must be nice to get to ride horses every day. And I'm like, right. you're an idiot. <laughs> I ride my horse so much less now that we own this trail riding facility. Before, whenever I was a, a school teacher, I had mm-hmm. more, I mean, I would, I could move my, I mean, I had holidays and weekends off and I had the summer off if I chose to have it off so I actually got to ride my horse more (laughs) and I don't know people's assumptions um yeah I don't know they just need to chill out with that stuff for sure and well you just checked one of mine right now not that I assume that you were like off like gallivanting through the woods every day on your horses but (laughs) I was like man that's like it must be nice I also assume the same thing with like Mrs. the Taekwondo people like wow you must get to practice all the time that's probably not true they're probably (laughs) poor Mr. and Mrs. G Mr. G's done had his knees replaced Mrs. G's gotta have hip surgery you know and everybody's all like oh my gosh, how is it to be married to an Olympian? And he's all like, help me, I had my knee replaced. <laughs> and she's all like, oh, my butt muscle. <laughs> yeah, everybody just needs to chill out with some assumptions and do not... Um, do be not generous. Just be generous in them. Generous in their assumptions? Oh, yeah. just you mean like give people more than what you're giving them? Well, you know, I think that we have some basic assumptions <clears throat> anytime that we meet somebody. But, like, it's one thing to be like, wow, I assume Brandy has so much free time to be able to ride her horses and whatnot. It, like, if you're going to talk to anybody, like, you're making an assumption with, like, the statement or question that you're asking, right? Yep. So instead of saying that, being like, wow, it must be really difficult to balance all of these, like, various activities that you have going on at the ranch, right? Because at least that, like assumes that you're working hard which you are you right. know instead of putting you on the defense like no I like I don't just like ride my pony all day like I've got, got a lot of things going on yeah for sure okay so uh, Maria do you have any specific state that you want to work in or what about this husband where did where do where does he want to end up at oh we are both bound for Missouri okay. I miss Missouri so much I miss the people I miss the culture um, I'm ready to come back home. So okay. I'm going to, we're going to settle in the heartland. All right. Do you know what? Okay. So one, I know this is a long interview, you know, with Missouri, you know, cause I was raised, I was actually, um, I was almost a Mexican. I was born like 30 miles above <gasps> Mexico. I was what? born in South, South Texas You're and everybody see, and then people would have, they would have never thought that I, if I would have been Mexican, Mm-hmm. No, but everybody had been like, yeah, right. And I'm all like, no, Mexico's no. actually very diverse. <laughs> oh, a yeah. lot of people, a lot of people don't realize that, but no, it's very, they got all the colors. They're diverse. <laughs> oh yeah. And, um, uh, you know, the one thing about Missouri, it has every season, but to the extreme. Have you ever <laughs> noticed that? Winter yeah. is extremely cold. Summer is extremely hot. And you get them all on the same day. Oh yes. Yeah. So. Missouri does keep you uh, hopping. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so y'all have a wonderful day. Do not assume anything. And uh, we'll see you next time on Big Boss Mare with Brandy Von Holton.